I guess it's true that if God wanted to show himself to us, he could. What did Moses see when God called to him from the burning bush? After Jacob wrestled with a stranger, didn't he say, I have seen God face to face? In any case, nobody I know has ever claimed to have seen God face to face. In both John's Gospel and in his first letter, he says, no one has ever seen God. Why not? Why does God remain hidden? Wouldn't a direct revelation of God bring people into the kingdom? Let's talk about the hiddenness of God today on Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, Jacob is quoted in Genesis 32:30 as having seen God face to face. Yet some 1,700 years after Jacob, the Apostle John says, no one has ever seen God. So what's going on? Well, uh, pe- people had, in, in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible, people had experiences where they saw God. But it was never, it was always God accommodating himself to them. It was always God uh, sort of dumbing himself down, if you will. One of the reformers talks about uh, God speaking to us in baby talk because that's all we can understand. So in a sense when, you know, you talked about the story of uh, Jacob wrestling with God, it wasn't God in his full essence, in his full glory that Jacob was wrestling with. It was God sort of dumbed down, if you would, for Jacob. It was, it was what uh, Jewish and Christian theologians call a theophany, an appearance of God in human form, um, sort of made accessible to human beings. When it, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying that, that they really didn't experience God, but it wasn't God in his full, complete all of himself. He was very, very much just giving them a little slice of who he was in human form in, 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 because he wanted to interact with them. And when Jacob experienced that, he said, I've inter- basically I've interacted with God face to face. Face to face. I understand what you're saying. It's sort of a minimized appearance yeah. as opposed to God's maximum glory. Um, but when somebody says, I've seen God face to face, and that's what it says right. in, in that account, yeah. it's hard to think of that in a minimized way. Face, if I see you face to face, I mean, that means we're in each other's presence, we're aware of each other's presence, we're dealing with each other at the highest level, right? Isn't that what that means? Well, I wouldn't say, well, it just depends. It's it's a different, it's apples and oranges because I'm not God. And so I really don't have any sort of analogy for a way that you could experience me in a dumbed down sort of way. I'm as dumb as I'm going to get well, right I can now. experience I can experience you on the telephone. I can experience you through text or email. Those are all minimal contacts that we can have with each other. I can write you a snail mail letter. Nobody does that anymore, but um, face-to-face as we are talking right now? I don't know. Maybe a Zoom conversation or a a Skype call okay, or a FaceTime would be a good analogy or a better analogy, not quite close. I mean, so, so, uh, uh, you know, a few years after that, Moses asked God, I want to see your face. And God says, you can't see my face. It would kill you. 
Yeah, I'm so, going to talk about that here in a second. Okay. So, yeah. So that's, I mean, when, when Jacob sees I've, I've seen God face to face, what he means is, is I wrestled with this human being. I looked at this person's face. I became convinced over the course of that wrestling match that I was actually wrestling with God. And, and, and he, in fact, was in the story. He actually is wrestling with God. But it's not, but God is very, very much dimmed down himself in order to meet with Jacob in that way. So he's not really experienced. So, so when, so when Jacob says, "I've seen God face to face," and then Moses is told, uh, you know, a little bit later, "You can't see my face by God," it's actually two different scenarios. Um, God is God is giving Himself to those to, to to Jacob and to Moses in two different ways. With Jacob, it's a very very much muted, uh, hazy, dumbed down version of himself in human form. It was real enough to get his hip out of joint. Yeah, well, sure, it was definitely real. It was very corporeal, very physical. It wasn't a, it wasn't a vision that he had. He actually was physically wrestling Did you with say this corporeal? Man. Uh yes, I'm a smart person, just in case you didn't know. Well, I'm not, so uh, you'll need to help yeah, me no, understand what that means. So, I'm not really smart, but if you say big words that you're not really sure what yourself <laughs> mean, it gives that vibe off. Or at least it gives people the vibe that you're pretending like you're smart. Uh, yeah, so it's very, very physical is what that means. It was it was a definite experience. It wasn't some sort of transcendental vision. It was he was wrestling with a man who he came to realize was God. I mean, if you go back to the story, we don't need to unpack the story here. But if you go back to the story, he's uh, he's wrestling. We're not told what convinced him this was God. But at some point over the course of the night, he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And uh, then this man changes his name uh, to Israel, which means the guy who wrestles with God. That's what Israel literally means, the man who wrestles with God. And uh, so he says, I've seen God face to face. Moses in Exodus 33 or 34, I can't remember which, uh, he says to God, I want to see your face. And God says no, because Moses is asking to see like the full shebang. I want to see all your glory. And, and God responds in that way, no, you can't. And so you quoted um, uh, John chapter 1 a minute ago where John says, no one has seen God. And what John means is in the sense that Moses was asking, God, I want to see you. Nobody's ever seen God in that way. God has revealed himself in human form at times in ways that we can comprehend like with with Jacob, and, and uh, almost certainly we're going to end up talking about Jesus at some point, which is a different category altogether. We can get to that later, I guess. That's that's something different. Well, let's talk about Exodus thirty three here. Um, we all would agree that appearances of God are rare, almost non existent. In Exodus thirty three, we have this curious exchange between God and Moses, which you alluded to. Moses says to God, "Please." Show me your glory. The Lord replies, I will make all my goodness pass before you, but you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. The Lord goes on to say, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." Now, we just said, I think we just said that Jacob had a corporeal experience with God. It was real. Yeah. 
Is this description here, do you take this to be literal? That this is a narrative, this is the way it happened, or is this some kind of figurative language? That's a tough one. That's a really a tough question, Chuck. And so I have to say this real quick here because before, for those of you who aren't Christians or on the outside listening into this conversation, this is not going to bug you at all. Some of you really serious Christians, it'll you'll instantly think I'm trying to say this isn't true. I'm not. When we say the word literal, um, when I say it's, the question is it literal or figurative, I, I believe that it actually happened. But I do think it's very, it's, you know, again, God is accommodating himself to Moses, not in the same sense that he's accommodating himself to Jacob, because with Jacob, he actually shows himself to him in an ordinary human form. The Bible is clear that God is a spirit, and that that's well, that's just from beginning to end. That's that's how he's described. So to talk about him having a face and a back and a hand, I, I again I think he's accommodating himself to Moses. God doesn't have a back, you know. He he doesn't have a literal hand, but Moses wants to see all of his glory. And and the way that God explains to Moses that he can't do that because it would kill Moses is to say, I'll let you see just a piece of me. I'll let you see the part of me that's not important. I'll let you see my backside. And I'm going to cover you up with my hand so that you don't get the full blast of it. So does God literally have a back? No. He doesn't. But what he's saying to Moses is, you can't see all of me. You can't get all of my glory. It would kill you. And so I'm going to put you here in this cave, and I'm going to make it real hazy so you can see, he calls it my goodness. You can see a piece of who I am, but not the whole show. Are we wasting our time here? The Bible says clearly God is spirit. Whatever that is, uh, that's what he is. And the rest of us, we walk around in this material world, and everything that we encounter is has that kind of substance, natural, I guess we could call it, as opposed to supernatural. Are we just trying to find ways to describe the indescribable? Are we going to go around in circles here and wind up nowhere because it's just not doable? We, we can't figure this out. Yeah, so actually, I mean, this is what a lot of philosophy and theology, too, is, is kind of circling around this unknowable topic, trying to little But it seems like God peaks. wants us to know. He gives us texts like this. Right, yeah. Instead of putting up the stop sign and saying, nope, nope, it's over yeah. your head, Don't. we're not going to talk about right, it. He yeah. gives us texts like this almost to tease us to think about it. So yeah. we do... And in one way, it's intriguing. In another way, it's frustrating. It's just, what do we do with this? Right. Yeah. So I, that's, I think that's a great insight, Chuck. I, in the story of the Bible, at the very beginning, before we humans rebelled against God and screwed this whole mess up, we are actually able to know God and to be in relationship with him and to be able to connect with him. And we humans screw that up. So, so there's two different reasons why we can't see God. Um, and and, and they are related. One is um, uh, here. I'm going to use one of those big words again. One is ontological, which is a fancy word that mean it has to do with like essence or what category 
things are in. God's in a different category than us. Our eyes are no longer able to see the category that God's in. We can't see that world anymore. Um, in, in the Hindu religion, there's a concept called bendi, which is um, uh, it's 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 the third eye, which sometimes you'll see um, you'll see Hindu w- women with a little dot of something on their forehead, which and, and men wear this too. Sometimes it's very very elaborate, but here in, in the West, typically. Um, you, you know, it's just a small, almost unnoticeable little dot. I remember a few years ago, uh, I'm rabbit trailing now, uh, it became popular for non-Hindu women to wear this, almost like a fashion accessory. I remember Madonna would wear one of these from time to time. She's not a Hindu at all. Anyway, I don't know if she thought it looked cool or whatever, but or if she even understood what it was. But what it is is uh, for uh, Hindus, it's this, um, it's this notion that we – ought to have a third eye, an eye which is able to see the spiritual world. And uh, to, to, to symbolize this, people, will, Hindus will frequently wear like a, a little dot on their forehead to say, this is what I want. I want to be able to see the spiritual world. Well, they can't, and nobody can. We can't anymore because um, God's in a different category than us. Whatever bridge there used to be, between the category of human and the category of God that Adam and Eve were able to cross freely has now been broken down because we have a second problem, and that's a moral problem. We are rebellious. We are turned in on ourselves. Um, we're faithless. Uh, we're liars. We're self-absorbed. God and his holiness, God is completely faithful. God is completely loving. He's completely righteous. In his holiness, his holiness is so powerful and bright, and our brokenness and fallenness and sinfulness is so dark and weak that we can't ever come in contact with him anymore. Now, to circle that back to your comment a second ago, we still have these lingering memories that are built into us as humans made in God's image of a past sweet ability to connect with God that we no longer have. And so what we, what we see in the Bible and in our own lives, and I'm talking to you, whether you're a Christian or an atheist or anything in between, there's this lingering sense that there's a transcendent world out there that we were made for, that we long to know. I mean, you can dim it. People can say, I don't believe in that. I'm a materialist. But I, I don't think that it's possible to actually day-to-day live like that. I think to hold your newborn baby in your arms, as cold and materialistic and sterile as your philosophy is, to hold a newborn baby in your arms, I don't understand how any human being cannot think there's something more powerful going on here than just this lump of carbon you know, sleeping in my arms. What I think it is is this lingering sense that there's something bigger out there. And so what we find ourselves in the position of is what you described, Chuck, is this tantalizing and at the same time frustrating, you know, mental gymnastics or spiritual, psychological gymnastics, however you want to describe it, emotional gymnastics that we do, like craving to know, God, are you there? Are you real? If you are, show yourself to me and not ever being able to see it. I think that's a great, what you said is really a good insight. Suppose I were to say... Well, I can see why Old Testament people could not yet look upon God as you have described 
in their fragility, their weakness, because they were not covered yet by the shed blood of the Messiah. But we New Testament people, we are covered. So should it be different for us? Shouldn't we have, we have access now, right, to the throne room. We have access to the Father. Is there a way to see him as a New Testament person that the Old Testament people could never achieve? Well, yes and no. I mean, no, I think that that overestimates the difference between us and them. I think that we're all in the same boat. We're turned in on ourselves. We're spiritually blind. The third eye no longer works. Um, it also, uh, it underestimates the power of, let me speak as a Christian now, the power of the blood of Jesus to work both forwards in time from you know, 30, whenever, 33 AD, and also backwards in time. I, so, so my sins, as a, you know, I, I, I believe this is a Christian, my sins have been paid for by the death and resurrection of Jesus Messiah. That happened 2,000 years ago, but it's powerful enough to extend to right now and into my future and however into infinity past future it's also powerful enough to extend back into time as well so that um not to get too deep in the weeds if jacob is able to have an experience when he's wrestling with god of really seeing god face to face that's because god has committed himself to the human race in the person of jesus 1500 1700 uh, you know 2000 years after that and so the power of that works backwards and enables Jacob to have an experience of God that's somewhat real. Now, I'm not saying that it's as real as what Jesus's friends had when they actually walked around with him in Galilee at the you know at the turn of the era. So so no, because um, we're we're in the same boat as the people who live back before Jesus are. We're just as broken as them, and Jesus works just as well for them, but. We do know more than they do. We have experienced, it is a, a, a clear, more comprehensible experience of Jesus on this side of Jesus than it was on that side of Jesus. We, we know way more than them. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit in ways that they didn't have, uh, speaking as a Christian. Uh, we have the gifts of the Spirit in ways. We have uh, the gifts of the Spirit, which create the body of Christ, which is actually it's actually an experience of Jesus himself that they didn't have. We have um, uh, uh, we have uh, the sacrament, the holy sacrament, in ways that they didn't have, which is actually an experience of Christ himself, which is an experience of God himself. And so in that sense, we do know more. that We have experienced more than they do. If what you're looking for is, well, I, I don't know if we're, I don't know what your plan is, Chuck. We're going to talk about this later, but. If what you're looking for is this, I want to have this vision of God where I see with my own eyes what God looks like, you can have that, but it's going to look different than what you expect. It's going to look like life in the Christian church, which is the body of Christ, which is the presence of God. It's going to look like kneeling at a rail and having bread pressed into your hand and a cup of wine raised to your lips. That's what an experience of God is going to look like. I personally know that, that that's a powerful experience of God because it's a real experience of God. It's not what I would have anticipated as an unbeliever, thinking like, I wish I could just see God. And yet, as a Christian, now 
I appreciate it as a more powerful experience of the presence of God than I would have ever anticipated before. Are the eyes of faith or the ears of faith, let him who has ears to hear, hear, are, are they real? Are they, are they as real? I mean, I see you now. There's no doubt. I see you. There you are. We don't have to talk about that anymore. We've, my brain has validated that you're present. But then we see things. I don't even know how to say this. We see things with the eyes of faith. I, I, I remember a pastor saying, I asked a pastor one time, this some years ago, if when we observe a baptism of a baby, are we seeing a resurrection with the eyes of faith? And he said, yes. Now, there are other people who don't have the uh, words that God gives on these things. and They don't see that. I think I do. Is it real? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I so... Uh... Yes, absolutely. But for, for let me let me just say this. You, you said that you're seeing me right now. You actually are seeing me with the eyes of faith. You're trusting your senses that they're not lying to you. Um, so I, I might have mentioned this book in here before. 1642, Rene Descartes wrote a book called uh, Principles of First Philosophy or Principles of Philosophy. And um, in that he argued... He, I think he's muddle-headed here, but it's a good it's a good point that his 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 background is a good background from which we can talk about how do you know as a human being the, the philosophical question of epistemology, and what he said in there was uh, I think I trust my eyes that when I see something they're real, but I don't know I've been I, I've seen stuff before and thought that it was there and then it was wrong as an optical illusion or I just was mistaken he said I, I he, uh, he later on he says I, I've I've had an experience before where I thought you know I'm sitting across this table from Chuck Rather and I think that he's there and then I, I wake up and it was just a dream that I was stuck in a room with Chuck Rather having to talk about theology and uh, I, in the moment, in the dream, I thought it was real. And, and he went a different direction with this, but, but I think the direction he should have gone is this, is that all of our, everything that you know is a faith commitment. You think that we're having a conversation here right now, but you can't prove it. You can't prove it because you've had dreams that are very realistic before. But you believe it. You're trusting in it. And as you trust in it, it makes sense. It makes sense that this is real, that you're not having a dream. Um, we keep coming here and doing these podcasts, and uh, it's on the schedule. And frequently in dreams, things don't work out normal like that, but you keep on committing to this. You keep on believing that I'm, I'm a real human being and that this conversation is real, and it keeps on making sense. I, I know I've done this illustration here before. I can't prove that my mom loves me. I see it with the eyes of faith. Now, somebody would say, no, 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 no. You know your mom loves you. And I would say, well, I do know my mom loves me, but I know it because I see it with the eyes of faith. I keep on showing up and having conversations with her. If I didn't believe it, I would just stay at home and I would miss out on my mom's love for me. But because I have eyes of faith, I just did air quotes there, which is completely unhelpful in a podcast. 
because I have eyes of faith, it actually makes sense. I get to eat my mom's good cooking. I get the comfort of this woman who raised me still being involved in my life and in my kids' lives. And I, I get all that comfort, but I only have that because of the eyes of faith. There is no act of knowledge that I can have that is not a faith act. I don't commit to something and say, okay, I'm going to believe that this is true. Will it make sense of my life? So I know that people want to say, okay, you think that you go to communion and you experience God, or you know, you think that Peter walked around and like talked to this construction worker dude and he was actually hanging out with God himself. Well, that's only because you have faith. I'm rational. I would never believe something like that. No, 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 that's not true. You have your own set of faith commitments. You're seeing things with your own eyes of faith. And I would say, you know, that's, that that okay, that's fine. You just need to realize it that you have faith too. You have faith in your own worldview. And I would just say, as a Christian, to believe that God is there and he wants to communicate himself to us across the chasm that exists because we're completely different than him, A, and B, we're morally fallen. That is an eyes of faith thing. Yes, I, I do believe that when I witness a baptism, I am experiencing the power of Jesus' resurrection worked out in this person's life. I don't think that that's fundamentally different than when I sit down and watch a football game and I actually believe that what I'm seeing is not a staged conspiracy, but I'm actually watching a real-life end-time football game. I think that both those acts are fundamentally in the same category. Okay, fundamentally in the same category. Um, I would make the argument that, yes, when we experience our natural surroundings— if I want to hit a golf ball, then I have to do what the teacher says to do, and that is to keep my eye on the ball. Right. Pretty hard to do if I'm not paying attention to where the ball is. And it is, at its root, a miracle that anybody can hit a golf ball because the complexity of that, the hand-eye coordination and all of those, those gifts we have as humans is really remarkable if you stop and think about it. But it's still a natural function. And I feel confident, I trust that I can hit the ball if I keep my eye on the ball. But what about supernatural sight? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. There's some kind of distinction there. Maybe in the same category, but not necessarily the same thing. What do you think? Well, I think, I think the difference is, is that he's, Paul's playing around with the Descartes things there with what I had said earlier, there are some things that for, for whatever reason for us humans are easier. It's easier for you to believe that I am sitting across the table from you than it is for you to believe that there's a God that exists because we've come to trust our eyes so much that it's just, e that it, it makes sense of the world. You know, if I, if, if I'm driving down the street and I see a car coming towards me and I move over, I don't get hit. I trust my eyes almost 100% of the time, almost unless, unless I'm just proven to be wrong. Right. And so that that's easier, but it's this, like, I think, I think you're right. It's the same category, but since we trust our eyes so much and we don't trust, well, I, I'll tell you this, I, I've got this friend and he's not listened to this. I'm sure he's never told me that he listens to our podcast. He's one of the worst Twice golfers. The first time he's one. If he know, if he hears this, he will know who I'm talking about. One of the worst golfers I've ever played with. 
He has. Boy, the, am I glad I've never played golf with you. He is. We, that got, secret is still safe. He's got the worst duck hook in the whole world. He hits the ball and it just immediately dives to the left and starts curving. And he will not take a golf lesson. And he will say, they don't do any good for me. They don't do any good for me. You know, I mean, he doesn't listen to teachers. He does dispense all kinds of golf advice. Me and this other buddy of mine, we laugh all the time because this guy's the greatest golf teacher in the world. He'll be like, hey, your, uh, your grip's messed up there. And he can't play worth a lick, but he tells everybody what to do. Well, so what's happened is, is that he won't trust anybody else, right? I mean, he trusts his own eyes, but he doesn't trust the teacher's eyes. So there's one step removed. We trust our own eyes. We trust our own sight. But we don't trust golf teachers. It's harder. Now, some of us we do, you know, because we've reached the point in our golf game where we realize this is going south fast unless I get some outside help. Even less do we trust the writings of an ancient book or a God who we can't see. But but, but in every case, it's the same category. We're doing the same thing. Well, let me say it to you this way. Um, I, as a Christian, believe that um, my trust in God, my faith in God has happened because God himself has given me that faith. And, and do you want to use the word supernatural for that? I, I, I guess so. I guess in the sense that God is sits above nature, we can talk that way. But honestly, that's not any different than I trust my mom too. Why is that? Well, my mom gave birth to me. My mom consistently loved me. The reason why I trust my mom is because my mom has made me, trained me to trust her. It's the same, it's the same exact category. The reason why I trust God is because God has trained me to trust him. He's given himself to me in ways that make my world make sense. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. And then Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction, when you look at the golf ball, you have a conviction as to where it is. Right. The conviction of things not seen. Yeah. So there's some kind of differentiation here, which I think the conclusion I'm about to draw is that your eyes can deceive you. You can look at something and and consider all of its natural appearance and ramifications and draw a conclusion that is false. You can trust your eyes to your detriment, your natural eyes. Yeah. Whereas the things that we walk by in faith are not seen necessarily, I guess, by our natural eyes, which I guess, and this is where I'm headed, are different than our the eyes of faith, which Christians have and people who do not believe do not have. So was any of that wrong? I, I don't think that what the writer of Hebrews there is saying or what Paul is saying in the text that you quoted earlier, I, I don't think that what they're saying is, is that there's rational people who have no faith and then there's religious people who don't have ration and the religious people who are faith people are right. I think that what he's saying is, is that the best way to say what he's saying is, is what you had just said. You can't trust your eyes. You can't trust your eyes. I think this goes across the board, though. I don't know if I can trust the golf teacher. 
There are golf teachers who give bad advice. Well, let me say it this way. I, I didn't. I didn't unpack this, but you know, when Descartes wrote, "I don't know if I can trust my eyes," his logical conclusion from that was, "I can't trust my eyes." So the only thing I really can trust is my brain. That's that's basically what Principles of First Philosophy is headed toward. That book, because you know, he says, "I think, therefore I am." Um, but my brain I can trust. And I would say he's missed the point. You can't trust your eyes, so you can't trust your brain. You have to trust something else. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is don't trust yourself. When it says don't trust your eyes, it's basically a way of saying don't trust yourself. You think that you've got things figured out, but our eyesight is so limited as humans, you need outside help. And that outside help is the things that we can't see, the things uh, specifically here, God. It's the one thing we can't see. I mean, it's the topic of the podcast, right, is the invisible God. So what he, I, all he's saying is this, is don't imagine that just because you don't see God, you can't trust him. He's actually the thing that's most worth trusting in the world, and he's the one thing that you can't see. I think that's his point. That, 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 that's the writer's point. Not that some people have faith, they're good. Some people have reason, they're bad. I actually don't think that, I think that the line between faith and reason is almost non-existent. All reason works on faith. You can't rationalize without evidential commitments. All faith is built on reason. I believe because there's evidences that have convinced me to believe. It's none of it's, none of it's happening in a vacuum, right? I mean, we have a Bible. So let me speak to Christians. We have a Bible. We have a physical God in the person of Jesus Christ. All of these things, you know, the Bible presents itself as history. All of this is reasons to believe. The fact that God himself and his essence is invisible to us humans is not an argument against the believability of this. It's actually an argument for, because my eyes are untrustworthy. I should believe what I can't see before I believe what I can see. So let's cut to the chase here in the interest of time. If I were to draw the conclusion, let me say it this way. We've done, historically, the Bible categor- not, uh, categorizes, but uh, chronologues this. God allowed the children of Israel to see them walking out as free people from Egypt Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. If that's not enough, parting of the Red Sea and walking across the Red Sea on dry land, and I could go on and on, manna, quail, the whole thing, which they all saw and didn't work. Right. After seeing all that, I think most of us, at least on the inside, would say, well, if I saw that, I'd I'd be a believer. Boy, I'd be convinced. Yeah, it's not true. It's not true. No. After seeing seeing all that evidence, didn't work. It did not turn them into believing people worshiping the one true God. It turned them. I can't. I won't say it turned them into, but they remained in the end a rebellious people who were not permitted to enter the promised land. Right. So is that why God remains hidden? If He were to yes. reveal Himself to us to our physical senses somehow, it wouldn't work. Right. Well, so yeah, he has. I mean, so uh, he has, so, um, to deal with the second part first, he has revealed himself to us physically. This is what Jesus is all about. 
I'm sure we'll touch on this near the end here. And, and I know I know we're running long here. Have I ever told you the uh, the Jim Carrey bike story in here? Yeah. Have we talked about that? Yeah. But you can tell it again. Yeah. So J- Jim Carrey tells this story about when he was a kid. Uh, one of his Catholic school teachers told him, "If you want, if you want something, you pray for it, and God gives it to you." And he thought, "I don't know if that's true. I'll try it though. I want a new bike." He said he got home from school that day, and there's a brand new bike um, sitting there in the living room. And he says to his mom, "What is this?" And she said, "Well, that's the bike that you won in the in the raffle drawing." And he said, "I didn't, I didn't enter myself in any raffle for a new bike." And he, he kind of calls around and talks to one of his friends. And one of his buddies says, yeah, there was a raffle for a new bike down at the hardware store. And I put my name in there. And I put your name in there, too, just to see what would happen. Jim Carrey does not believe. He's not a Christian. All that happened. You know, like you pray and you ask for a bike. You get a brand new bike. And to be like, oh, that's interesting. I'm in. No, he no, he's not. No, he's not. Because that never works. That never works. What God doesn't give us is these big magical pictures of himself. People wouldn't believe it. They would rationalize it away. Oh, wow, crazy coincidence. Yeah, I saw something crazy. They would rationalize it away. Instead, what he does is he becomes a human being, and he gives himself to us in human form. Jesus is accessible to all humans in the same way that any human being who's ever lived is accessible. He walked on this earth, left a record of his historical record of his time here, um, his friends told us what he does. Uh, I mean, what he did. You know, he lived and he taught and he did miracles and he died and he rose from the dead. All of that is historically verifiable in the same way that any event in history is historically verifiable. If we want God, that's where to go. I mean, John, you know, you, you quoted earlier that nobody's ever seen God at any time. Um, the very next line is the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. Talking about Jesus is the only begotten God. He has made him known. You want to know God? You got got to go to Jesus. He has become human. This is different than the, the than the human being that Jacob wrestled with. By the way, uh, uh, that was a theophany. It was temporary. It, it it didn't last. Jesus is always a human being and always God for us. So he's God. You want to see God? Jesus is God. Well, how can we look at him? Well, he's also a human. And so we can experience him the way humans experience other humans. He talks. He listens. He has emotions. He has thoughts. He has a physical body. And God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So is is God hidden? Yes, he is hidden, but he's bridged the gap. He's figured out a way to connect with us in the person of Jesus. One last question quickly here. In Revelation chapter 1, John has a vision of the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. And his description is there. He saw something. There's no doubt about it because his description is rather detailed. I've never seen Jesus that way except through the eyes of John, which is preserved for me in Revelation 1. So... Is it true to say that I have seen Jesus through John's eyes just as real as John saw it or the apostles saw it when Jesus walked the earth? Can I say I've seen Jesus? Well, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I'm saying that as a Christian. uh, uh, I'm thinking a non-Christian is listening to us on... These guys are nuts. Well, that, I mean, that's the choice that they have, right? 
Like so, so if my wife tells me, hey, I talked to your mom on the phone today and she said to tell you hi, I have two choices. I can believe in my wife that the message that she's passed on to me from the mother that I believe in really was her saying hi, in which case I've just communicated with my mom. My mom has just given me a message. If I say, I don't believe my wife, she's, she's you know, fanciful, she's a faith person, she makes stuff up, and I don't believe in my mom. I've never seen my mom. Why would she ever communicate with somebody like me? I don't even, maybe she exists, maybe she doesn't, I don't know. If I said that, I, I, will, not have, I will not have had communication with my mother. If I want communication with my mother, though, and this is the way to do it, then I have to trust my wife and I have to trust my mom. It's just, and, and when I do that, it's a real life scenario, if this actually happened, if I did that, I would have actually had a message from my mom. And you and I are in that same boat, Chuck. You and I are both Christian believers because we trust in the God who speaks. We trust in the Jesus who reveals God to us in human form because we trust in the John who has given us a message from that Jesus. We've actually experienced and communicated with God. If we shut that off and say, I don't trust in John, I don't trust in all this, you know, this baloney, this superstitious stuff, we've just cut ourselves off from God. I mean, all I'm saying is that that's the choice that people have. You're free to say, I think it's a bunch of crud, you know, but if you want to communicate with God, this is the way he's given to, he's given himself to us in Jesus. Jesus has given a message to his servant, John, and John has given that message to us. Trust in it. You will have experienced and communicated with God himself. You will have seen God. Can we conclude with this short, simple advice? When your natural eyes and their evidence conflict with your eyes of faith, go with the eyes of faith. Well, it depends on what the eyes of faith are looking at. If, if your eyes of faith say, I believe there's no God, don't trust your eyes of faith. If your eyes of faith, and when the Bible uses the word faith, it's almost always talking about the faith, Christian faith. If the eyes of your faith say, God loves me, he wants a relationship with me. He has communicated himself to me in the person of Jesus. I'm in on that. Then, yeah, trust the eyes of the faith. Thank you, Pastor. You've been listening to Craving Answers, Craving God. If you find our show to be helpful, please tell your friends about us. If you put Craving Answers, Craving God into your search engine, you should find a thorough list of the platforms that carry our program. And please share your opinions with us as well. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.